And good morning to you. It's a great setup for where we want to be this morning. And I'm Pastor Dave Mitchell, and welcome you to Calvary Church. Even as others have welcomed you, I felt the personal need to welcome you as well. And uh, we look forward to studying God's Word together. That's what we like to do, is to worship the Father and then worship what He has to say to us. His Word is true and reliable and trustworthy. We have been going through the book of Romans. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the city at Rome, which is really the believers who lived in Rome in a very persecuted and heavy-handed political uh, persecution of those believers, and he gives them hope. The book of Romans, just a reminder, because we've been out of it for a couple of weeks here, the book of Romans begins with telling us how sinful we are. We all love to hear that, of course. So he spends three chapters talking about how sinful we are and that there is none who seeks to do good. There is none who seeks God. And then he talks about the salvation because if the sin is so bad, then the salvation has to be so great. Because if no one seeks after God, Romans 3, then we know that Jesus has to seek after us. So Romans 3, 4, and 5 is all about the salvation of Jesus Christ that comes through faith alone and not our works. And then he wants us to know that from salvation comes sanctification, which is the holiness, living in the will of God, fulfilling those things God has called us to do. That's why we have the life left, how to grow. What are those ingredients that allows us to to enter into a more intimate and personal and meaningful and fulfilling relationship with Jesus Christ. There are a lot of people that just find church one hour to be kind of the sum total of the relationship with the Father. And God says, I've got much more than that that I'd love for you to enter into. And so Romans chapters 6, 7, and 8 is all about that sanctification, that holiness, the purification process becoming conformed to look more like Jesus Christ. And then we'll begin in chapter 9 next week where it talks about the sovereign rule of God, to choose some and to rule over all, Romans 9, 10, and 11, and then we'll continue from there. This morning we're in Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 28 is a very familiar verse to a lot of us. How many people just out of curiosity, and this isn't putting anybody on the spot or trying to make anybody feel embarrassed or not, Romans 8, 28, and again, just to remind ourselves... Romans 8.28 says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Boy, how many people have wanted to quote that passage and have quoted that passage? Just a little show of hands. Yes, this is familiar territory, right? This is a passage that we love and we claim it. We hang on to it. When there's tragedy, when there's pain, when there's disease, when there's loss of jobs and financial distress, We want to believe that God is still going to make something good out of it. So I want to talk about that this morning. Let me read the passage that we have just had portions of this sung just a moment ago. It's in Romans 8, 28. I encourage you to take your Bibles or the Bible in the chair rack in front of you if you don't have your own Bible. And this is such an important passage for us in daily living and eternal perspective. And it says in Romans 8, 28, as I just read, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He begins a series of questions. And he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? 
God is the one who justifies. And who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather the who was raised, who is at the right hand of the God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? With tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine? And again, remember, these are written to believers who are being persecuted by people like Nero, who are using Christians in his backyard patio as human torches to light the party. So this is not just some, you know, ne'er-do-well guy. He is an evil man. So will persecution or famine separate us from the love of Christ? They needed to know that. So do we. Or nakedness. Can't get a job. Can't provide for yourselves housing and clothing. Or peril. Or sword. It means that literally a sword that some have died in those days especially. Just as it is written, for you, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, my entitlement of this section, which is such an important passage, is how to be set free to find God's good. The good of Romans 8.28. I'm going to give you four things that are so important for us who want to live a life that truly engages in the good. That whatever happens, we know that there's going to be a good. These are the things that I believe that Paul would have us to know from this passage. I need to be in a position to claim God's promise of good. I need to be where God wants me to be in order to say that if there is going to be good from this, I am in the right place to receive that good, to see that good, to accept that good, to interact with that good. I've got to be in a position where that is occurring. As the passage says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. But let me just dig a little bit deeper on one portion of this. This is going to be relevant towards the end of the message where I want to illustrate for you how this passage works in one couple's life. So that's at the end. So you need to hang in there with me until the very end as I'll show in living color how God has done this. God causes all things to work together for good. That's a great little phrase. And if you dig a little bit deeper in the original language that Paul wrote this in in the Greek, you'll read something like this. The work together is a Greek word, synergo, synergo. We get the English word synergy from that word. And what I love about that is that it's saying that there is a synergy of the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, working in synergy with the circumstances and the details of my life and your life. That there is a working together, a mixing together, So that as God mixes all the ingredients, they then produce what is good. And the word for good, there's different words for good in the Greek, but the word for good that Paul used there means good that is beneficial in its effect. For example, if you bake a cake, each of the ingredients of that cake are not very appetizing. Eat a raw egg? No. Eat a bunch of flour? No. Take a cup of sugar and down it in one swoop? No way. Take a little bit of vanilla and just sort of down it? 
Hopefully you don't do that. But uh, if you did, because there's a lot of alcohol there. But if you did that, and not that I would know, but if you did do that, those are all individually either bitter or way too sweet, or they have some sort of a detrimental effect to how we feel. So ingredients in of themselves are never very appetizing. But when you use synergy, when you work them together, when you mix them in the pot, when you bake them in the oven, the final product is really quite delightful. And what God is saying is that I'm going to take all those little individual parts that all by themselves, if you just took that one little bit, that little death scene, that little persecution, that little lost job, that little time of disease, you take all those little bits and pieces all by themselves, yeah, they're bitter. They're unappetizing. But God says, I use synergy. Soon ergon. I work with. Ergon means work soon as with. I work with them. I work with them together. I mix them so the final product comes out good. So there is a process, and I'll show you what we need to do to get there. So, if I want God to work together for good in my life, I want His synergy in all the circumstances I'm experiencing right now so that there is good, what position do I need to be in? There are two qualities. There's two conditions to this. This isn't just for anybody. This is for, number one, those who love God. That's what he says. Work together for good to those who love God. Am I in a loving, personal relationship with God now? Have I put my faith in Jesus Christ? Has Christ died to pay for my sins? Am I here to love Him and expect and experience His love today? Am I in a loving, intimate, growing relationship with God? Because He says... The good comes to those people. So if you're not in that relationship, we encourage you to come to know Jesus. Interact with Jesus. Go to our Life Lab this afternoon on how to connect with God. Because the whole point of these things is not to add bureaucracy or things you have to do. They're part of the ingredients of making a product that is ultimately good. And any single ingredient doesn't always seem to be good. But when they're mixed together, that's the whole idea of a body. We have all these various ministries. We have all these various people that when mixed together, working together, synergy, there is good that comes from it. And God says, I want you to be one who experiences good. And it begins with a heart that is in love with me and receives my love and lives in that love. And the second condition that he has there is that I am pursuing the purpose of God. He says here, not only is that those who love God, but to those who are called according to His purpose. I am called to fulfill His purpose for me. I'm in pursuit of what He wants. I want what He wants. I read His Word. I want to do that. Now, occasionally we rebel. Occasionally we're obstinate. Occasionally we just don't feel like it. But overall... I'm in pursuit of the will and purposes of God for my life. I may not even understand them. I may wake up every day and I don't get it. I may be or just graduating from school and I don't know what that is. For us. God says, I will show you what my purpose is for you. If you walk by faith, trusting and loving me, I'll open the door for you. Just stay faithful to me. And so God says, these are two conditions that are required 
for me to mix together and work together, synergy, the details of your life. Because I know you want good. God says, I want good. So let's work together on that. Fulfill the conditions. Be in a position to receive that. There's a good example of that. I get a letter just this last week. You uh, may know that I send an email out every week. And I know that all of you faithfully open it and read it and just meditate on it for a long time. But here is one of our missionaries, Patty Aronson. So she sent me a letter just a couple of weeks ago, a couple of days ago, I should say, in response to my little thing on God works all things together for good. Here's what she wrote. She said she actually had written this in a blog earlier, and I asked if I could read it to you. And she said, of course. Patty Aronson, one of our missionaries serving in in Africa. I was nine months pregnant, two days from my due date. Nine months pregnant, two days from my due date. When all movement from within deceased. We rushed to the hospital and no heartbeat could be found. I wished mine would stop as well. Days were like weeks. Grief is such a hard work and I clung to God's word. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purpose. Romans 8.28 I prayed that God would use Benjamin's life for good, but I couldn't imagine how in the darkness in my grief. Years have passed, and this son would be graduating from high school this year. I've gone back to that verse and wondered what good came from the time in my life. Then one day I read the next verse. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Romans 8.29 God's work came in my life. I'm learning to trust God's sovereignty in life's most difficult times. I'm learning that my holiness is His work and not mine. I'm learning to walk humbly before my God. I'm walking with others through life's dark places with wisdom gained from being there myself, serving others in times of grief. In a tough spot, ask God to make it good in His way, in His time, in you. One testimony that God is still in the business of taking those little ingredients that all adds up to a lifetime and bringing good. But you have to look for what the good is. Here is the good that God is displaying. Romans eight twenty nine and 30. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He will be the firstborn among many brethren, and these whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. Before I go on, let me just say one word about predestination. A little parenthetical thought. Predestination is a wonderful word. It's a Greek word that means proitro, and it's made up of pro, meaning beforehand, horizo, which kind of, you get the word horizon from it today. But it means those things that are marked out beforehand. God looks at you and I, He looks at us, and He marks out our lives. And a lot of people don't like that because it takes away freedom, personal freedom. We want to, in America especially, it's all about freedom. 
Well, God says, I have called you and predestined you. And I've got a lot of passages on the back side you can look at later. But here's a couple of questions that often come up when this whole idea that God has marked out my salvation. And he says in Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world. Well, how fair is that? Well, here are two questions. If God has marked out my salvation, then do we really need to evangelize others? Because if God has marked out my salvation, then what's the point of me trying to witness? Because he's got it all marked out. And then secondly, the question comes up, does God predestine some to hell? Well, of course we need to evangelize, but God never says that he sends anybody to hell. Why do people go to hell? People go to hell because they reject Jesus. They don't go to hell because God sent them to hell. Remember the big lie, I like to talk about this. The big lie of Satan is that I work to go to heaven, but God sends me to hell. That's the big lie. But the truth is that God sends me to heaven, I send myself to hell. That's the basis of it. Notice in John 3, 15 and 16. Here is the freedom verse. So that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. This is Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Does God send anybody to hell? Should we evangelize anybody? What Jesus points out is that whoever, twice, whoever believes will in him have eternal life whoever believes in him shall not perish whoever means not whoever is of the church not whoever is called not whoever is predestined that's not in the passage whoever means whoever whoever means anyone whoever means seven billion people in this world of the whoever if the whoever of the seven billion should believe in him the whoever of that seven billion will then go to heaven but whoever means anyone can do that, and I don't know who they are, and so therefore I'm to witness to all of them. And if I can to go to seven billion people, I should go to seven billion people. So should we evangelize in light of the predestination? Be yes, because whoever means whoever is around us. Whoever I know. Whoever I can't reach, but I can send someone else to go reach them. Whoever needs the scriptures in their languages. Whoever means anyone out there is potentially a convert to Jesus Christ. Should we evangelize? Absolutely, because you never know whoever is going to believe. And does God send anybody to hell? Does He predestine anybody to hell? No. He says, whoever believes in Him should not perish. So whoever means anybody can choose to believe in Him and not be condemned to hell. So God's not condemning anybody to hell. He's trying to get everybody to believe in Him. So, two questions that come up. Do I evangelize and does God predestine people to hell? They're answered in these two simple little verses, and much more can be said and needs to be said. I don't want to overly simplify it, but just want to make a point that often comes up here that sort of skirts the real issue. And here's the real issue. In this passage, when God says God works together for good to those who are uh, loving Him and called according to His purpose, what is the good? In every passage, here's kind of a little extra thing. Here's a little tip on studying the Bible. Whether you're studying the Old Testament or the New Testament, you know that everything written here was written to somebody else than us. The book of Romans was written to a group of Romans in the first century. We read it and we apply it to us today. You take the Old Testament. There's all kinds of passages from First uh, Kings, First Chronicles, and Jeremiah, Isaiah, they say some great things and we hang some of the things they say on the wall. we got some of it on our wall at home. 
that I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, he says. Well, that was written to Israel. It wasn't written to us. So there is a primary application that every text has, and that primary application is to the people that read it for the first time. That's okay. But there's also a secondary application that I then therefore even 2,000 years or 3,000 years or 5,000 years later, depending upon where you read, I can apply that in a spiritual way in my own life. Well, here's the primary application of this passage. What is the primary good that he's talking about? The primary good that God brings to everybody who loves Him and are called according to His purpose is in verses 29 and 30. And I just list them in a very different list so you can see that. That here he says, those that God foreknew before we were ever born, God knew us. He predestined us. That's good. And then secondly, those God predestined, He called. And then thirdly, those God called, He justified. And fourthly, those God justified, He glorified. And the good is this, that if you've been known by God, predestined by God, called by God, justified, declared righteous by God, you will then be glorified by God. The good is there's no slippage along the way. No one's lost along the way. If I have been predestined by God, no matter how terrible I then turn out to be at some point in time, if I'm called by God, justified by God, I will be glorified by God. God doesn't justify anybody only then to say, you know what, I've changed my mind about Dave Mitchell. He's not going to be glorified. Sorry. God doesn't do that. And why does He say this to the Romans? Because they are being human torches in Nero's backyard. Because they are being wrapped in the skins of wild animals and torn apart in the Colosseum. They are being brutalized in ways that we can't even fathom, that we wouldn't even want to watch in a movie. And one of the concerns that happens is that when we go through terrible persecutions, we begin to question God. Where were you? How can a loving God allow that? How could a good God allow that? And we begin to question God. So God comes along and says, wait, 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 wait. Synergy. I'm working, to get, I'm working through all of that. And that if you're called by me, you better rest assured that you will be glorified by me. That's the good. That's the primary good. That's the core of the message. We love that. But we also want to know, but what about today? So secondly, there is a secondary good that God brings to us. The secondary application. It's daily living, not just eternal living, but daily living. And we don't have time to go through all of them, but I offer to you on the outline there verses that you can read. For example, Ruth. Ruth is a Moabitess who was uh, uh, lost her father-in-law to death, lost her husband to death, was destitute, was homeless, had a mother-in-law who had a bitter spirit, had no place to call home, was a beggar, literally, and that God then brought her into a man by the name of Boaz, and then she became in the genealogy of Jesus. What does Ruth teach us? That good comes to those who remain faithful until the good comes. Then you take the example of King Manasseh, that I won't take time because I've read it before, but I want to take Joseph. Joseph of the Old Testament. Joseph was the guy who had the brothers who are the 12 tribes of Israel. The brothers betrayed him because they were jealous of him, because they thought the father loved him better, gave him nice clothes, 
you know, fancy stuff from uh, Urban Outfitters and things like that. And so he's getting re- they're getting resentful of that. And so they sell him off to slave traders. Brothers betraying their own brother, Joseph. He ends up in a variety of terrible situations, which includes imprisonment for allegedly assaulting the leader's wife, and he didn't do it, but she wanted him, and he refused the immoral behavior. He stood strong in holiness. As a result of doing the right thing, he ended up in prison, only to have a dream, and then God used that dream to bring him to the point where he's the second in command of the nation of Egypt. And then after all that takes time and all that passage of time, the brothers from Israel, the brothers of the 12 tribe brothers, they come into Egypt because there's famine in the land and they finally meet up with Joseph again. So Joseph's got all the power. Joseph could throw his brothers in prison. Joseph could execute his brothers for their terrible, terrible betrayal of his life. But then when the brothers finally show up, Here's what Joseph says. And notice how it'll tie in with Romans 8.28. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. After all they've done to him, imprisonment, betrayal, persecution, he says, I'm in God's place. Now I highlight in the yellow, I mean yellow, in the blue. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive so that he could have the, enough food to feed the people. That's what Joseph did. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I love the attitude of a Joseph. Let me go back. When we're waiting for the good to come and the good doesn't seem to be showing up, the ingredients are out there and many of them are bitter. Some of them are, are, are very distasteful. Situations and circumstances and persecutions and pain. When all those ingredients are sort of lurking out there and I'm not seeing the good, I'm not getting this, God, what are you up to? Then I need to go back to people like Ruth Joseph and King Manasseh because in Ruth, until the good is evident to me, I remain faithful. Until the good is uh, evident to me like Joseph, I am gracious to the very end. And until the good is evident to me like King Manasseh, I am prayerful to the very end. If you're waiting for God's good in a situation that now is just simply ingredients, but they haven't been synergized together, working together by God yet, you don't see the final product, then you need to learn from Joseph, Ruth, and King Manasseh. Three good examples of being faithful, being gracious, being prayerful, until God's good comes to your attention. Because God's going to do that. He's promised it. You love Him? Pursuing his purpose, great. Just wait for him to synergize it, and it will be yours. But these are things to do in the meanwhile. And then we see that we need to rely upon the power of Christ to claim that good. Verses 31 through 34 are so powerful. He says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he also with him freely give us all things? God will freely, if he gives us Jesus, what more can he possibly hold back from us? He says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. 
And who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is the right hand of the God, who also intercedes for us. I love that. He intercedes for us. Jesus is right there with the Father. And when you and I go through some of the things that he talks about here, of tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword, death, life, angels, demons, things present to come, powers, evil, height, debt, when all those things come, Jesus is interceding. Here's how you pray. You say, Father, I know Jesus is right there. And I repeatedly say, Jesus, thank you for being my senior pastor. Because I need someone to keep me accountable and I need someone to help me out. Because I don't have all the answers. So, senior pastor, senior shepherd, good shepherd over me, would you intercede for me in this issue? Because I don't know what you're doing. And that's where this, I love God, I'm called according to His purpose comes in. Because Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I believe I'm doing your purposes. So Jesus, I'm asking for your intercession to guide me on this journey because I've got no place else to go. And God loves that. He loves that. He says, you're taking me at my word that I'm going to bring good, but it comes through Christ's intercession. It comes through Christ's death and burial and resurrection. Raised up with God in heaven. Jesus is right there doing this. And that's why it's so critical that we believe in the resurrection of Christ, physically, bodily, and that He comes back for us someday because He's interceding for us. I need to rely upon the the power of Christ to get me there. And then finally, I need to trust in God's care because I will have problems along this journey. There will be problems, there will be pain, there will be things that are terrible that come into my life. Verse 35, for example, Paul acknowledges, who will separate us or what will separate us from the love of Christ? Christ's love for me. That's what he's talking about. Not my love for Christ, it's Christ's love for me. Will tribulation distress? Tribulation means to be pressed in, to be squeezed. Distress is a word that literally means where I reach a dead end in a narrow passageway and I have no place to go. So he says, whether I'm being pressured or I've hit a dead end, I don't know where to go, I don't know what to do, I have no place out, this is a dead end street, a dead end life, I don't know how to care for myself anymore, I want to end it all, I'm, I'm just sick and tired of this life that you've called me into because it's too much tribulation, too much distress, too much of a narrow passageway, and I'm stuck, I'm stuck. God says, I will not let the love of Christ stop loving you. Will tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? No, that will not separate God's love for you through Christ. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. I'm going to help you overcome that. I'm going to help you move beyond that. For I am convinced that neither death, the worst of all, can you imagine losing a child, losing a spouse, losing a friend, that neither death nor life, some of the things that come in life like angels, that try to work for good or principalities that may work for evil Ephesians 6 the evil of the demons of this world nor things present that are happening today nor things to come I worry more about future things than I do about present things I'm worried about this that and the other thing it's gonna happen tomorrow next week God says don't worry about those things nor powers nor height nor depth there's nothing out there that's created that will ever separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord He says, I just want you to know that. That yeah, there will be pain, there will be problems. But don't let them dissuade you 
that I am a God who brings good. If you allow me time to work it together, I want to promise that to you. Now, I said at the outset, I want to illustrate that. We just are so thankful for our missions this last week and our missionaries that your faith promise giving supports. That they have such wonderful hearts that they go out and they commit to things and sometimes as a result of committing to things in global missions, other countries, there are even more things of that list on the screen that can happen to us. And so I was, had, we had Lanny and Carla Aronson to our life group last Sunday night. And I asked them the question, what are, what's the highlight, what's the low light of your 42 or so years of ministry? What, what has God done? And they began to share these stories, these amazing stories of what God has done. So I asked them if they would put that on video. So here's some of their story. And listen to how God brings, even in death, the hope of good that can ultimately still come to us. So listen to Lanny and Carla Aronson as they tell their story when they were in Africa. In 1985, as my wife and I were traveling between uh, mission points, um, we were ambushed, and there were shots fired at our car, one of which struck the tire on my side, and a second shot that came in shortly thereafter struck my wife in the middle of the back. I was able to drive the car for a few more miles to get out of the situation, stopped, gave her some basic first aid to stop the external bleeding, and repaired the tire, and then was able to drive to a um, a nearby uh, base where I knew that there was another uh, Western organization working who had radio contact and who could also call in an airplane. They had an airstrip. And we were able to get her on a plane with a doctor with a medical drip and and things, but uh, she died before we could reach a hospital. Um, The plane landed in Kenya um, with my wife and myself on board, and we're met there by my family, my two two of my brothers, my my parents, and um, other mission leaders had come to hopefully take us to the hospital for her surgery, but that was not going to happen as she'd passed away. Um, We went out to my parents' home at Kajabi that night. We brought my daughters down, and I was able to tell them that their mother was gone. Um, It was a very difficult time, as you can imagine, very um, hard, a lot of grief, a lot of um, weeping. But I can honestly say that at no point in that time did I feel depressed We believe in in God as being the king and the ruler and in his sovereignty, and it wasn't for us to question why. There were times for questioning myself, why did I drive on the road that day? Why did I respond in that way? Could I have done things better that might have saved her life? But never was there an issue of God's involvement and his doing it. I don't pretend to understand what areas God causes and what area God allows and all of that. It's not for me to even challenge. It's for me to simply know that we serve a good God who does all things well. And um, and to, to move forward. It's just um, to continue believing in Him and trusting in Him. Yes, there was a great deal of grief, but there was also a, um, a joy of knowing that, that Janice was now fully 
herself because we're, we're created to be eternal people and our eternity doesn't end in this world. In fact, it doesn't even hardly start until we get over the next bridge, which is in, in heaven with Christ. And although she'd been a beautiful person and a wonderful person in this world, it was like moving from being a caterpillar to being a butterfly. And that was part of the imagery that was in my mind that before she, in all of her beauty and all of that that she brought into my life, she was now really, really who she was meant to be. She was in the presence of the Lord. And that was encouraging, um, even as my daughters and I grieved um, her loss. As we prayed about our future and the mission came to me and asked me to take a new role called Director of Outreach, which was to identify where there were unreached people in Africa, where there were countries that were without a clear gospel witness, and to establish new projects, new programs, new outreaches that would be um, proclaiming the gospel to peoples and um, places which needed to hear the gospel. So that was, um, that was one of our big calling, and that's where Carla comes into the picture. When I was 17, my sister was 18, and Although we were in a Christian home, that was a turning point because she was killed in a small plane crash. And obviously nothing like that had ever happened in our family. Something like that turns your world upside down. And I remember some, some months after that happened, I thought, well, you know, if God could take Rita just like that, then he could take me just like that. And therefore, the only things that really count are the things that count for eternity things of this life really it's not as big of a deal as my peers you know as we thought of college and marriage and kids and all that it those just lessened in importance and I thought really what counts is the things that are going to last um, for eternity so I wanted to go somewhere where the work wasn't being done there was there was need there was a, a sense of I could make a difference if if I'm willing if I ended up in Chad in the early 90s and I had to work through that. Okay, if I go to Chad, I'm going to be single. This is it. I'm not going to find a husband in Chad of all places. So um, I worked through that, you know, the ups and downs of that every single person has to work through. Um, but thinking, okay, this is my life. I'm going to be in Chad for 30 or 40 years, however long the Lord calls me. Um, had to learn Chadi and Arabic and was working on some other languages, doing village health care and all that. So he made trips to Chad, and we got, we, we got to know each other. We got along well. We washed dishes together and cooked and talked and prayed. And, and together as a team, we were devising strategy and vision. And um, I, I remember as a teenager, somebody said, um, really, in America, we date backwards. Um, really, you should connect spiritually and then emotionally and then physically. And in, in America, we often do that the backwards. And I think that's what happened with Lanny and me because we were, um, we were together on the same page as far as our big goals and our passion for unreached peoples to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and then we also just had fun together. We, even fun we knew each other, really. even dishes, and we just had a good time. And, um, but then he went back to Kenya and I was in Chad. And, uh, uh, Christy, my oldest daughter, was now into her third year of university. Katie was a senior going to graduate. The end, she'd be graduating in 95. So I knew I had about a year more with her. She was starting to tell me, Dad, I'm leaving. You, you better find somebody to take care of you because no one's going to help you dress if I'm not around <laughs> to tell you how to get, your, get the right clothes on. At this point, I was starting to evaluate, and I thought, well, next time I go to Chad, 
I want to know if Carla would even be interested in a relationship. Now, I knew we had a friendship and I had this huge regard and respect for her. Um, but I also knew that she had a call from God to be in chat. And I respected her call and I didn't feel called to chat. I, when I went over to chat, it was so hot, I was counting the days until I could leave. Um, so that was all part of my thinking and I thought the next time I go to Chad, we'll, I'd like to find out if she'd be interested in, in something more. Well, as Carla came out carrying this tray of food, a toad hopped into her path. And um, she just reached out her foot and just kind of pushed it aside and went about her business. And I said to myself, there's someone I could live the rest of my life with. So I'm going to definitely ask the question I said tonight. I'm going to ask the question if she'd want to pursue a relationship. That was kind of my plan. So we carried on with the interview that night. I mean, it was just a way to get started in talking. And not only did he ask if I wanted to pursue a relationship, he actually proposed. and That hadn't been planned. <laughs> So we really feel like God definitely intervened and made that happen. And, um, yeah, it kind of surprised us both. But the, the fact that he asked gave us a security and an ability to trust and say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to commit to each other. And then at that point, God just gave the love. We, you know, we talk about falling in love, all the feelings and emotions, but the safety of allowing ourselves to feel that for each other. We told the rest of the team that was there that we had um, agreed to get married and now we had to get the blessing of my children who weren't anywhere near. <laughs> um, and, and the interesting thing about that was because I knew his mom and dad, when he called his mom, she said, oh yeah, that's the one I've been praying for. I have her picture in my purse. And then Christy, amazingly, she said, oh yeah, dad, you have my blessing because I went through the AIM directory and that's who I picked out for you. And again, she hadn't said anything, but she knew me from my days at Rafali Academy. So again, it was really affirming to to hear people say, yeah, you belong together. The, the cool thing was just how God had knit us together with the same goals in life, the same passion, the same love for him, and a desire to have a partner in ministry. Um, we would not say this is prescriptive, that this is how it should happen for other couples, but in our case, it was just right. And the more we got to know each other over the next week, the more things fell in place as far as similar ways of viewing life and philosophy and credit cards and you know everything else. So, um, and here we are 18 years later, still in love, still enjoying, still being best friends. And um, so God's been good to allow us to marry as husband wife, but to also marry our passions and our desire to make things happen in Africa um, for his glory and in his kingdom. Isn't that great? Good story. God loves to come along and give us kind of a visual picture of how he says, I work together for good to those who love me, who are called according to my purpose. And imagine if you stop the picture when Lanny's in the car, the tire is blown out, his wife has been shot, Janice has been shot, and then she dies. If you just stop the picture there, it'd be real easy to say, God, where's the good? Carla, her sister's killed in a plane crash of all things. Stop the picture there. Where's the good there? But in the course of that time since then, now they're 18 years of marriage, you can look back and say that working together, as they even referred to that, God knit them together. And God wants to bring good to people like Lanny and Carla. He wants to bring that good to us.
And he invites us to be those people who, like Ruth, remain faithful, like Joseph, remain gracious, like King Manasseh, remain prayerful, those who truly love Jesus Christ, those who are truly pursuing his will. You will be blessed with God's promise of good. Let him bring it to you today. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you that you're the God who still brings good to us. That in one freeze frame of our lives, it may not look like good, but that's just some of the ingredients that have yet to be mixed. So God, I pray that we would be faithful and gracious and prayerful, allowing you to mix our lives together in the good that you want to create. So that, Father, we can show others that you are a sovereign God who is still good, even in the midst of some of the most difficult things life will bring our way. God, thank you for this promise, this hope. I pray we live it out until we're glorified with you in heaven. And we'll meet Carla's sister and Lanny's first wife, Janice. Father, what a great place for them, now glorified. Your primary good is for them, and we're seeking your good here on earth as well. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.